From Relay FM, this is Connected, episode 115. It is brought to you this week by Braintree and MailRoute. My name is Stephen Hackett, and I'm joined uh, by my friend and lead singer of the Senors, Federico Vitici. Why do you do this? Hi, Stephen, but it's unnecessary to do. New listeners uh, <laughs> no. will just have to discover what that means on their own. God. Well, okay. <laughs> so Mike's not here. Yeah. Uh, he... Mike is at the Ool Conference in Ireland with a bunch of our friends, um, and he is away this week. Yeah. The, the Ool Conference is a metaphor for the afterlife. So we miss you, Mike. And uh, yeah. <laughs> get, get better soon. <laughs> <laughs> so we spoke uh, last week, obviously, about the Apple event. There's some more of that to unpack this week. Um, but something that we didn't really get to talk about because the event just overwhelmed the show was the AirPod delay. So the night before the event, uh, Apple uh, made made it known to several reporters that the AirPods were going to be delayed. They weren't going to be sold in October. And I think the language was basically we need a little more time to get it right. And uh, they're not ready yet. Mm-hmm. And now, according to like supply chain rumors, which I mean take the whole thing with a grain of salt, is saying that it may not be until... January that they yeah. may miss the holiday uh, season altogether, which is not great. I mean, the AirPods. I mean, it's, it's expensive, but it's in line with the other wireless headphones costs. And I could see these things being a huge holiday gift for people who have a spouse or a loved one who you know is a big iPhone user and may not buy this for themselves. And it makes me sad because I wanted to buy it for myself and. Now we're all waiting. Yeah, and in another plot twist, according to Apple Insider, uh, there's no way, and I'm quoting, that Apple is delaying the AirPods until 2017. So they make it sound like they know something, uh, but again, we can know for sure. I I, I think if there's a delay to next year, it's going to be extremely odd because the AirPods are exactly the kind of gift that were perfect for the holidays, you know, just the right price point to, you know, buy a gift for a loved one, for example. But also, uh, and I think we talked about this before, it's the statement that Apple was making with the iPhone 7, that they believed that the uh, the future of wireless audio uh, were something like the AirPods, you know, moving away from the headphone jack, moving away from cables in general. And now to have that kind of delay from a September announcement to a January release, that would be kind of strange, especially when you basically sell people on the promise of wireless audio and then you right. wait four months. That'd be a little strange, I think. Yeah, and, and you know, we have friends who have review units and, and Apple labeled those as like beta hardware, which is super strange. But from what I've seen and from what I've talked to people who have them, they seem fine. It's not like they're super janky or broken. So, I mean, who knows what's going on here? You know, these things are complicated. They have hardware and software, and then there's software on the phone. Like, there's a lot of moving parts, and I would rather Apple wait and they be really good out of the box than be sort of broken and and not, you know, what Apple wants. Uh, Because that's a really bad first experience, right? If you're, if to your point, if you are pitching people on the future of wireless audio and your first entry into that world is not a good experience or sort of broken out of the box, then you've you sort of soured people on that vision, right? So I, I understand it, um, but I am bummed, and I think that uh, the absence will only make my heart grow fonder for the AirPods. 
Yeah, I mean, I can't, I can't wait really for these things. I, I was thinking about this the other day. I'm, uh, I'm that kind of person who tends to fall asleep listening to podcasts or listening to music, and to not have a wire, you know, going to bed with the risk of being choked by my own music. <laughs> that'd be that'd be very nice. And I, I was surprised when I see that Apple was delaying the product, but I guess it makes sense, like you said, if you're gonna make a, you know, the this grand debut into the the world of wireless audio it's best if you have a solid product without issues uh, whether it's hardware or whether it's software so i mean i get the reason i i also uh, i also think it'd be kind of strange if apple cannot figure out a solution before january or before february but i guess we'll see uh so up next uh, ios 10.2 uh developer beta mm. and then late last night the public beta uh, has arrived. It brings uh, some new stuff. We have a link to Mac Stories in the show notes. Some new wallpaper, a new iMessage effect, which I did not expect them to ch- like. Honestly, like ever change. Like, but they added a new one, which is fun. And seventy-two new emojis. So this this brings Apple in line with the latest Unicode release. And what's even more interesting to me is that they've also redesigned like the bulk of emoji that people use. Um, what do you think about this new look? Yeah, it's a major redesign, actually. From what I've seen on Twitter, and Cable Sasser from Panic has been very efficient at tweeting uh, screenshot and you know screenshot differences between the old emoji and the new ones. Uh, I, I dig the new look. I think it's a combination of very artistic 3D slash photorealistic icons. Like, it makes me sort of nostalgic of the old the old Apple way of drawing icons on the Mac. Uh, these are very detailed, very uh, colorful, very realistic in a way emoji, whether it's landscapes or food. I mean, the food emoji are super, like, they make me hungry. And yeah. <laughs> I, I think I love the style. They're definitely moving away from their cartoonish slash 2D effect of the old emoji. But even if you just look at the comparisons between the old emoji and the new ones, uh, there's a a considerable amount of detail that the new ones have that the old ones didn't have. And it sort of makes sense if you consider the move from uh, old screens and small screens to this world of larger displays, retina displays, high-resolution screens everywhere. I think it makes more sense given the time, uh, you know, that we're in right now. Um, I don't know. I, I've seen a lot of people saying, I don't think emoji should be more realistic. I don't think it makes a lot of sense. Personally, I'm a fan. I, I love the new look. Uh, I'm not sure. I mean, I think Apple is going to tweak this uh, before the final release because when they did this last year, even on iOS 9, they did a bit of a bit of a redesign of emoji. I think they kind of changed the glossy look to something else. Uh, and they changed the style the style between the first beta of iOS 9.2, I think, to the last beta. So there's still room for improvements and optimizations, but overall I think it's a solid new look for emoji. I think it's very fun. And, I mean, you can see why they've done it, right? You have them much bigger now in messages, and some of those old designs just didn't scale up very well, and some of them look kind of fuzzy even. Um, so it was nice. Uh, it's a nice opportunity to do that. And I, I'm with you. I like the new look. I, I like that they are more detailed and I think they look really nice on the retina displays where you can really see those details. So 
uh, thumbs up uh, for me, and uh, you can send bacon emoji to all your friends yeah. if you update to uh, the beta. Or I mean, assumingly ten point two would be out here in the next couple weeks. Um, do you know anything else that ten point two brings? I mean, the emoji or why people will update, right? Because that's what people want. I have a good one. I'm not sure if it's a bug yet or if it's a feature. <laughs> but if it's a feature, I bring good news, Stephen, because now the notification center slash search screen with widgets remembers mm-hmm. your last viewed screen. So if you dismiss the, for example, notification center while you were viewing widgets, the next time you slide down, you won't go to the notification list again. You will be taken to the previous widget screen, which is super handy. Control center does that, right? Yeah, if you were exactly. on... One, it remembers that when you go back in. Yeah. And I never look at notifications. And I realize now Mike is going to go crazy because I've seen Mike use his iPhone. He's constantly pulling down to view his notifications. And he's very upset about the changes to notifications in iOS 10. We've talked about this before. Uh, But for someone like me, I use widgets all the time, especially the launcher and the workflow widgets. And that extra swipe always required to go from notifications to the other screen... If Apple is going to change this in iOS 10.2, that's going to be super welcome. So fingers crossed it's not a bug, it's a feature for once. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I would imagine they, they want that to be the same as Control Center. It really makes sense, right, that if one place works this way, both places should work that way. Yeah. So I will put it in the feature column until proven otherwise, I guess. Okay. All right, uh, so we have a lot more to talk about, but first we're going to take a quick break and talk about our first sponsor this week, which is Braintree. Braintree is code for easy mobile payments. By next year, or maybe even next week, there could be a whole new way to pay. Maybe it'll be the next Bitcoin, or the next Apple Pay, or maybe even something that has both of those things. Fortunately, Braintree's full-stack payment platform is easily adaptable to whatever the future holds, so you can adapt easily too. Accept everything from Pounds to PayPal to that next big innovation from any device with just one integration. And when that new payment method comes out, all you have to do is update a few lines of code. Braintree's code is elegant with clear documentation. It supports Android, iOS, and JavaScript clients. And their SDKs in almost any language you would want, .NET, Node.js, Java, Perl, PHP, Python, and Ruby. So no late nights, no complicated recoding, no stress about staying ahead of the curve. Braintree Payments is here to help. Check it out at braintreepayments.com connected. Once again, that's braintreepayments.com slash connected. Thank you so much to Braintree for their support of this show and Relay FM. So Federico, you bought a new MacBook Pro. Yes, I did. Uh, it's true. I bought a new Mac and it's got a touch bar. No, no, not really. I, I didn't buy anything. Why, why, why am I even playing along with you? I don't know. I don't know. You really went for it there. <laughs> No, yeah. you did not buy a new MacBook Pro. Uh, you didn't buy anything, man. It's... You didn't buy anything. No, no, no. Uh, but I did. So we spoke last week about my very conflicted feelings about what to purchase. As I shared last week, I recently picked up a refurbished uh, 5K iMac from Apple, which if you've never bought refurbished as a sidebar, totally the way to go. Uh, you Sometimes you have to wait to get what you want, but they warranted them like news, a bunch of money off a sweet option Uh, you can even do in-store pickup with them so i had mine shipped to my apple store and i went out there and got it um so that this imac is what i'm talking to you right now on this is now my main machine in my studio and it's fast and it's powerful and it's going to last me a long time 
And in doing this, I have decided that my notebook is going to be my secondary machine. So when I travel, when I work outside of the home, or if I need to edit on the go, I still need a Mac. I can't be iMac and iPad, but the the MacBook Air or Pro, whatever it was going to be, will be a secondary machine. And after the show, did some more thinking on it, and I ordered the $1499 MacBook Pro. So this is the one with two Thunderbolt 3 ports that does not have a touch bar. It's the only one of these new machines that is... Uh, currently shipping and i got it just bone stock just the 1499 model as it is and i have some like initial thoughts on this and uh, it is a complicated machine with a bunch of complicated decisions that went into it um but as someone who was really looking at i was really probably going to buy the macbook air but i wanted something with a rena display um because i wanted something thin and light and and under those parameters this machine is a big win. The screen is excellent. It's got the the wide color gamut. It's really bright. Um, it's it 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 meets that that need of mine where I wanted something with a retina display, but as as thin and light as the MacBook Air. Um, I did get it in space gray, which looks awesome. Um, it it still looks like a Mac, but it, it the dark look is something that I really like. And because the the bezels around the screen are so much smaller, it feels like a much smaller machine. I mean, Federico, do you remember when they went from like the iPad three, yeah, you know, two, three, four design to the Air? Yes, it was amazing how much smaller it felt. Yeah, I, I like how you you bring up the iPad so you can relate with me. That's right. Other than that, it's just me talking for an hour. <laughs> Thank you. But it's that same. It's that exact same thing. Where like I know the screen size is the same, but it feels so much more compact it feels very dense um but there are some some downsides you know this this macbook uh none of them have magsafe anymore usb-c is the charger now and it sticks in there like a usb port so you know the magnetic breakaway is gone uh, magsafe was so brilliant i mean i don't know about about you federico but for me it de- i definitely have instances where magsafe saved my computer right it gets plugged in and the dog walks by or a family member walks by is not paying attention and yanks that cord off the side of the laptop and it stays safe and sound yeah it's definitely one of the best features about the mac when i when i got my first macbook i remember the feeling of having a charger that was so clever Unlike any other uh, PC notebook that I had in the past, it was mm-hmm. so genius. And I mean, I, I get it why people are sad about the the MagSafe. Um, I saw that there's an adapter uh, made by Belkin, maybe or Griffin. Uh, I don't remember. Griffin, yeah, Griffin makes one. Yeah, that sort of turns the USB-C plug into a MagSafe-like magnetic charger that snaps into the MacBook. Def- I I do understand why people are you know sad about leaving this feature behind it definitely made the Mac, you know, a better machine because of that. Because, you know, if you have a dog, if you have, you know, kids running around, it made it better. So, yeah, sad. Yeah, and the USB-C port, people in the chat are asking, it is snugly in there. Like, it is not something that if if someone trips over this cable, the MacBook Pro is going to go in the direction of the cable. It's not going to break away freely. But, I mean, I'm bummed by it. I wish that they could have made it work. I mean, clearly USB-C adding charging is like a big benefit of the whole chipset. So why not take advantage of it? But it is a bummer. It's something that I will miss. 
Um, because of that, you don't have the little, you know, status LED on the charger, whether orange or green, so you can see your battery status. Um, the power brick doesn't have the little arms anymore because it's just like a big iPad charger, basically, and you plug a USB-C cable into one end and then the same end goes into the laptop. There's not like an integrated charger anymore with little wings to wrap it around. Um, so some of that's not as nice. The The keyboard is, has been a big point of conversation you know apple said it's the second generation butterfly mechanism and it's designed to feel you know like it has more travel so i have a macbook here my wife has a, a first generation you know retina macbook that we bought her and side by side with this new macbook pro it sure feels and it sure looks like this keyboard has more travel hmm. now apple has said to some people including jason that the travel's the same. And I've actually read somewhere else that Apple told them that there is more travel. So I, I don't know if there's actually more travel or not. I can tell you in using it, it feels like there's more travel than the MacBook. Whether that's uh, smoke and mirrors and some sort of magic trick, I don't know. It's not as good as the Magic Keyboard they sell for the Mac. It's, it's not e- really even as good as the Smart Keyboard they sell for the iPad. But it's it's... Closer to the MacBook, it's in, if it's that shallow key style, it is going to take some getting used to. It is going to take me learning not to type so hard and like bottoming out the keys. Uh, it does make a wonderful sound when you type on it. It's very clicky and clacky, which I like. But it's um it's something that takes some some getting used to. But funnily enough, one thing that has prepared me for this keyboard is typing on my iPad Pro with the smart keyboard cover. Uh, because that thing is so shallow, I've gotten used to typing more soft, you know, in a softer fashion. So I'm not slamming my fingers into the base of the keyboard and it'll take some time to get used to, but I think I can get there. I think I'm already adjusting to it after a couple of days, but it's not as good as, as what I think is Apple's standard right now of the, the magic keyboard, that external Bluetooth keyboard, I think is still better. And that makes me a little sad. Um, the big thing, though, right, is the <laughs> the big thing today, at least, is the the port situation on this thing. So as we talked about, all the, and I'm going to use huge air quotes here, legacy ports, because I really don't think USB-A <laughs> is legacy, uh, but we'll call it legacy. Um, they're all gone, and it's, it's uh, USB-C and Thunderbolt 3. This computer has two of them. The others have four ports, which is nicer. And really, more than anything, it makes the Mac feel um, more like an iOS device. Now, I can still adapt and dongle my way to almost anything, which we're going to talk about. But sort of in its default state, it's just it's just a, like a, a machine that's kind of unto itself. And we were talking before we recorded, uh, when the iPad, you know, in the run to the iPad, when the rumors were really strong, and then afterwards, you know, there, there was a group of people saying, this thing needs USB port, so you can put a jump drive in it. Um, this thing needs an SD card slot so you can import photos to it. And Apple did end up shipping the camera connection kit. So you could, they still sell it today. So you could, uh, pull images in from an SD card and and import them into photos. I have one. I use it actually uh, several times a year with my iPad. If I just travel with my tablet and a camera, it's really nice. Uh, but they didn't build that stuff in on the iPad and, Clearly, the iPad has been fine without it. I mean, I don't. I don't think you're pining for a USB port on your iPad Pro, are you? Not really. No. <laughs> that's good. <laughs> you're never gonna get it. Yeah. Um, so that stuff's all gone here, 
And there was conversation today about should have Apple left um, an SD card slot? Should they have left a, a sort of standard USB port on this machine? And I feel very conflicted about that. I wrote about this this morning. Um, there'll be a link in the show notes to my piece where I understand and kind of wish Apple had left at least the SD card slot on this machine um, because it's it's another adapter that you know you do have to purchase and carry. Now, that's not the end of the world, and it's nothing new. Uh, if you had a Thunderbolt-equipped Mac, you were carrying a dongle for FireWire or Ethernet or you know VGA or DVI. So in reality, I think I own a total of like two additional adapters than I used to. Not a huge deal. I spent $1,500 on a computer. Spending $150 on dongles and adapters is not the end of the world. But it's something you have to deal with, right? Because we, we on the Mac, we still have the need to plug a bunch of stuff in. At least a lot of us do. Um, and I can't. I just keep coming back to the idea of, like, should have Apple done something different? Uh, clearly, they were never going to do it. I don't think that was ever on the table. But I think about it, too, in comparing it to the iPad, where... The iPad has always been a wireless machine. The camera connection kit uses an SD card, but it, it still to this day only uses that to import photos and videos shot on a camera. If you have audio files on an SD card slot, so like when we travel with Relay, I have a portable recorder that records audio onto an SD card, and I can you know, stick it in my, in my Mac and pull the WAV files off. The camera connection kit doesn't offer me that. There's no mechanism within iOS to pull files off of an SD card that aren't images and videos. And that's really frustrating, and I wish they would look at that. But the iPad has had a healthy life, and now, you know, six years into it, without all that stuff, right? And the Mac is moving towards that in a way. And I just find that very interesting, that you have platforms that apple even today in an interview phil schiller said you know their separate platforms are going to stay separate but that the mac is inching closer to the ipad at least in terms of like hardware philosophy and i'm just i feel really just really conflicted about that i don't know i mean you have a mac still you have a macbook air Mm -hmm. and you only use it for podcasting right yes like so you have a usb interface uh and a microphone cable and microphone and so you know it it's it's that that keeps coming back to my mind in this of like how many people are like me and and I bought every adapter I could because I'm in situations where I need that stuff, but I think a lot of people aren't, and I think a lot of people are like you and they have one or two things they really need to do, and so you could do you know a USB C to A adapter or buy or even just buy a different type of USB cable for your interface, and you would be okay. Or you could, you know, know what I'm saying? Like, I feel like it's not a big deal to people who aren't nerds. Yeah, I feel like nerds are a very peculiar breed in the sense that I'm I'm looking at people on Twitter, right, these past few days, and the same people who generally praise Apple's uh, drive and push to move past old technologies like the people who in the past praised Apple for 
moving on from the floppy drive, from the serial port, from the VGI, VGA cables and that kind of stuff, now are upset that HDMI is gone and USB-A, whatever is the name, is replaced by USB-C. And they're sort of apply, applying a double standard because when it happens to other people, it's okay. But when it happens to them, it's not. And I sort of don't get the perspective because we can make the same argument that we're making today for people who relied on floppy drives in the past, which is where I get to my question is, how and when do we draw the line? And how do we understand when a port or a cable that Apple is getting rid of is truly past its time? Or right. when is it too soon? This is what I want to understand. Because otherwise, we're just left with a bunch of people on Twitter uh, saying Apple really made a mistake this time, but in the past it was okay, and now it's not okay. So how do we decide? Yeah, I mean, that's that's sort of the crux of it, right? And I think where people are divided on this is some people think that... It's not a big deal because you can adapt, and most people don't use most of that stuff anyways, right? Or they use it so rarely that just having a couple of adapters is not a huge deal. And then there are other people who say, look, USB-A has been around on the Mac since 1998, the first iMac ushered it in, which I know a thing or two about. And it's the standard, right? It's it's more of a standard than Serial or SCSI or ADB ever were because USB is like truly universal. I mean, you can buy anything with a USB plug on the end of it. You can buy, I mean, even my like uh, BB-8 little Star Wars toy robot I bought last year charges over regular USB. It is everywhere. And I think why I'm conflicted is because I don't know what side of that divide I stand on. I think that, yes, USB, especially USB, uh, standard regular USB plug, is universal and it is painful to see Apple moving past that. But at the same time, you come to that idea of like, I don't really know how big of a deal it is to most people. You know, when Apple uh, introduced the original MacBook Air in 2008, there was a slide. I just, I love this image. It's Steve Jobs standing in front of a, of a slide on, in this presentation. And it has all the things that we used to use optical media for and and now we don't need it so he has you know you don't need a dvd you have itunes and you don't need to burn a cd because you have the ipod and you don't need to install software because you can do that over the internet now and he was building the case that the original MacBook Air losing this the optical drive was not a big deal and people were worked up about that and now like i don't know the last time i'm put a dvd in anything and so like we will get there right apple has an uncanny ability to see where things are going and move in that direction. And in moving that direction, they make things happen, right? Like it's it's a two sides of one coin. My gut says they may have been too early on this, but I also am not surprised at all that they didn't leave a single USB port on this as like a bridge to the future. Like th- that that idea that they should have left one or you you should have had some sort of legacy IO that's generally not the way Apple uh, works. And in my post, I talk about a example where that is how they worked when they, when they brought the iMac design to the power Mac, they left one legacy port on it for nine months. And then that ADB port went away and it was all USB and firewire. And so Apple's done it 
in the past, but it's not something, um, it's not something that is, uh, super common, you know? So mm. I don't, I don't know what the answer is, Federico. I don't mm. know. I, I think that's why it's so like, like I closed my article saying, I don't know what I think because on one hand, I like this MacBook pro because it's thin and it's futuristic and Thunderbolt three and USB-C is crazy fast and awesome. But at the same time, I have a whole bunch of stuff on my desk that I can't plug into it without an adapter. Mm. <laughs> you know, so I don't know. Yeah, I just wonder if the problem here is that the people who have these needs are the people with a voice on the internet. So the people who have blogs, the people who talk to the press, the people who have podcasts are also the people who make software and need a lot of power are people who have a lot of external drives, a lot of monitors, a lot of other devices, a lot of cables. And so the opinions you read and the thoughts you listen to generally come from people who are at the very edge of what they need from a computer. And now it's to- it's a totally fine argument. I totally get it. Like it's maybe too early because I, you know, USB, the standard plug is anywhere. And I totally get it. But I also wonder if most people will notice. But then again, mm-hmm. will most people buy the MacBook Pro? <laughs> so it's well, no, sort of, but, right? So but, maybe- but it is a, but it is the canary in the coal mine, right? The MacBook is already here. Like that's the funny thing about this. This is only, this is only in, in the conversation because it happened on the pro machine like when it's just the macbook it's like oh that kind of stinks just don't buy the macbook but when apple updates the imac and the mac pro and maybe the mac mini one day then this will be everywhere and but but i see what you're saying right like i think about like my family members or friends who don't own a podcast network they they may plug their phone into their computer a couple times a year now, most people don't even do that. Um, most people, you know, I think one of the more common things is maybe, you know, transferring stuff over USB and then maybe you just need to get a, a new USB drive or get, a, you know, a single USB-C to USB-A adapter for mm. that. But I think for most people, most of the time, it's probably at at, I mean, at most like a, a, an inconvenience. Mm. And so people are going to roll their eyes about it. I mean, sorry, last night, um, so I have a, a Pixel XL review unit um, from Verizon. I uh, hung out with some friends last night. I took it with me because one of them wanted to see it. And so I kind of got passed around the group. People were commenting. And two people, like independently of each other, who aren't nerds, were like, oh, this has a headphone jack. <laughs> and for, like poking fun of Apple for doing something they they thought was clearly ridiculous. And I, there, I think there's going to be some of that in this too, where some, somebody's going to buy this machine not knowing all this, not listening to Connected or following us on Twitter. And they're like, oh, wh- what are you doing? Like, what are these silly ports? I don't know what to do with these, right? Mm. Um, so so I- I'm very curious to see how it goes in the mm. real world. Here's what I think. I believe the problem lies, most of it at least, in the message. Because, follow along, compare the announcement of the iPhone 7 and the truly masterful PR strategy that was the headphone jack. With a leak, quote-unquote leak, coming out, what, December 2015? Months, almost a year before, the iPhone 7. And I see all of that maneuver as a truly, almost perfect PR job. 
And, oh, it, yeah. and it makes sense, right? It makes total sense because otherwise people are just going to go crazy and focus only on the lack of a headphone jack come September 2016. Now, I think that Apple were, I don't know if I'm prepared or maybe a little too certain about the MacBook Pro announcement. But they could have done a lot to mitigate the the nature of the MacBook Pro and the lack of other desktop Mac announcements uh, coming into the event. They, it's selling the message, it's selling the perception. Because look at the iPhone 7. It lacks a headphone jack, but it's got a dongle inside, so you can mm-hmm. adapt. And I don't know what you noticed, but in, from what I've seen on Twitter, nobody's talking about the headphone jack anymore. And when you talk to people and you mention, well, there's a free adapter in the box, everyone is like, well, well all right then, whatever. Right. And if you apply that strategy to the Mac community, I wonder if maybe a different, a different structure of the keynote, different messages in the keynote, different leaks coming into the event, different interviews after the event, not the sort of scrambling that we're seeing now with CNET releasing multiple interviews and, you know, another interview with Phil Schiller today. It just feels like all of the PR strategy went into the iPhone 7 and not so much went into the MacBook Pro because Apple was surprised by the criticism that they received. And Phil Schiller said so in the interview today. So I think that a better orchestrated message and strategy would have done wonders to the MacBook Pro announcement. And now Apple is kind of figuring out what went wrong, but I don't think it's necessarily wrong with the computer itself. And I truly believe that it's okay to move past a few things even when it's painful. But most of the problem is not taking care of the message beforehand and leaving people to speculate, leaving people to say, well, I should I should just maybe switch to Microsoft, I should just maybe switch to Windows. The lack of an explanation, the lack of a coherent story at the event. I think that's the at least one of the most important aspects to consider. Not, you know, just the technology part because i feel like nerds if you know how to take care of them it's gonna be okay and when it comes to this macbook pro it almost feels like apple was all invested in the iphone 7 announcement in the iphone 7 story and when it came to the mac event they were like well you know mac people are gonna be fine they love us um Turns out, if you don't know how to announce things, that those people can, you know, rally against you, and it's definitely been a surprise. Yeah, I, I think there's something to be said there. You know, that the PR game around the iPhone was strong, and you know, there's there's the angle too with these particular models of they they're more expensive than their predecessors. You know, one reason I bought the non the non touch bar one. Uh, the MacBook Escape, as as ATP dubbed it, uh, was the price as a secondary machine. You know, I just couldn't couldn't really justify a more expensive purchase. But I, I do wonder, out in the real world, would have throwing a USB C to USB A adapter in the box been so bad? You know, they did it on the iPhone. Exactly. I don't. Yeah. Think, I don't think they'll do it on the iPhone ever again. I agree with Mike. I think Mike said that first. Uh, it's a one time deal on the iPhone to help usher people in and then the airpods will come out in march and everyone will be happy but why not do that on the macbook pro is it that they are making such a statement that you don't need any of that old stuff which i think is probably the wrong statement it's probably too soon or are they or they just assume that people will just go get them i mean 
I I bought I got a whole laundry list of things of dongles and adapters that are like slowly trickling to my house from Amazon and, and Apple and everyone else um, to plug stuff into this thing. And it would have been a nice gesture for Apple to include one. And I think in a world where they were never going to put a USB A port on the side of this thing, they were just they were never going to do it. Then at least put that adapter in the box because you know what that adapter gives you the ability to plug in your iphone like if there's anything this thing's be able to plug into is the iphone and you can buy a USB-C to, to lightning cable um i have one now and it's very confusing because the ends look very similar but like at least do that at least put that adapter in the box and i think that they could have avoided a lot of this sort of stress in the mac community if they had done that and, you know, then people who, you know, people like me who do need Ethernet every once in a while yep. or who do need to plug in to VGA sometimes, they'll just go get what they need and that'll be fine. But like everyone is going to need the USB-C to A adapter, like everyone. And so why not at least include that? That's really what I keep coming back to of like, I think they should have done it and why didn't they? And I think it's the same answer because they think that. Um, this is the future and it's going to be great. But again, there's that tension with the present. It's all those little things, right? It's the, the, the little details that eventually kind of snowball from a PR perspective. And you end up with the memes on Twitter. You end up with the people uh, tweeting stuff like, if you buy a new iPhone, you cannot even plug it into the new MacBook. And it's PR's job to consider those scenarios to kind of push the product people to say look you gotta include a dongle in the box otherwise we're gonna we're gonna end up with this kind of criticism from people and they're gonna paint us as a greedy corporation because we let people buy the computer and buy the iphone and they cannot even connect them because we're gonna sell them a different cable it's the changing the magsafe with no explanation it's the removing the extra cable that goes from the wall to the to the power adapter it's all this little it's leaving aperture as an example of mac pro performance when aperture has been discontinued for two oh years it's Dude, on the website i can't even it's on the website that. it's all those little details all those little things that if you go i guarantee if you go to the iphone webpage, you're not gonna find a detail like that and you're not gonna find a pr message like that because it's all more tightly rehearsed it's all right. more tightly prepared when it comes to ios devices than it is for the mac so phil schiller can say we're surprised but are you really should you really be surprised when you're doing such i mean in many ways in different aspect a sloppy job honestly and it it's surprising but not really also so yeah and and the the cynics angle this is what's going on in our chat room right now is that this the dongles and the adapters and that extra extension cable, like uh, Apple makes money on that. They make really good money on that. I mean, I think the Thunderbolt three to Thunderbolt two adapter is like 50 bucks or something. The others are cheaper and they don't make all of them. So like I bought a couple from Belkin because Apple didn't uh, make them, but it's whatever is listed on Apple's website. But it's, it is, I mean, there's that side of it too, of like Apple, like you buy this machine and it's not a big deal to spend more, a little bit more money. But it is spending more money, and it does feel like you're being nickel and dimed a little bit if you need to plug in all this different stuff. Now, I would I would counter that argument. I would counter it to our chat room by saying this has been the case with Apple Notebooks for a long time. When they went to Thunderbolt and made DisplayPort and all that and got rid of DVI and VGA and all that stuff in the 
years ago, like we've been in this adapter world for a while. People are bummed because they have to buy new adapters. Like I basically just took out my Thunderbolt 2 adapters out of my backpack and put in USB-C ones today. It's like, well, these guys are now retired and y'all are on the front line now. Um, but, you know, I bought those adapters four or five years ago and they've been fine and they'll sit here because I save everything and I'll have them when I need them, which is my excuse for lots of things. And, and it's fine. So all in all, I think at the end of all of this, um, I like the machine. Uh, there's, I'm not crazy in love with parts of it. I think there are some limitations that are a little frustrating around what you can do with it under certain circumstances. Um, but what I wanted was a, a well-specced machine, you know, that was fast enough for editing and logic and final cut and something with a run display in a 13 form factor. And I got that and plus more because it is so small and it is so light and it comes in space gray, which just looks sick. Um, and so I'm happy with my purchase and it means I got to carry some dongles, but I was already doing that. And it means that I'm going to have to explain to my family members at Christmas, if they get new Macs that, um, you know, Hey, you're going to have to, to buy some adapters that maybe you, you didn't have to with the previous one. It, it is what it is, right? Like Apple's not going to go back on it. <laughs> they don't, if there's one thing Apple does. It's we don't go back. Uh, those ports aren't going to grow back overnight. And, um, so it's a matter of if you need a machine and this fits your needs, then order one. And if it doesn't, that's fine. Don't order one. But at some point you'll be in this world with, with us now. And that kind of is, is how it is. Yeah. On the other hand, uh, people who have this new MacBook pros, you know, you're never going to run out of gift ideas because you can always buy a dongle and it's always going to be a welcome gift. You know, it's like when you know someone is a smoker and you can buy lighters, you can buy ashtrays, you know, it's like a bad habit. You cannot buy dongles and it's going to be a great gift because it's always going to be convenient. So, yeah, I'm going (laughs) to give you a dongle, Stephen, if you don't mind. Thank you. Yeah. I think I bought all the ones I needed, but I appreciate the gesture. You can have extras, you know. I mean, I love extras. (laughs) (laughs) I have 39 Macs sitting in the next room. This episode of Connected is also brought to you today by MailRoute. You know who should handle your email security and delivery? People who do just that, and that's MailRoute. All the big companies are bowing out of the email protection business because it's hard work. Postini went away, now McAfee and MXLogic. Google came out and said that if you want to use a gateway service like MailRoute, they don't even have to filter your Google Apps email. They want you to use something else. So who can you trust? Who can do this job properly and still be around for years to come? MailRoute. Their team has been focused entirely on email security since 1997, when Federico was just three years old. MailRoute protects your email and hardware against spam, viruses, and other threats. And they deliver your mail even when your mail server cannot. Now, you may be thinking, well, do I have to install something? No, there's no hardware. There's no software to install. If you own your domain, that's all you need to use MailRoute. Their interface is easy to navigate and loaded with admin tools, including an API. And it's all designed to make your life better. No spam, no viruses, and no bounced email. So if you're a small at-home business or a huge ISP, MailRoute handles customers of all sizes and provides the same level of outstanding tech support to everyone. MailRoute protects your email from spam and viruses and guarantees mail access during outages. That's it. That's all they do. They do it better because they've been doing it longer than anyone else. 
So stop spam today and sign up for a 30-day trial at mailroute.net slash connected. And because you're a listener of this show, you'll get 10% off the lifetime of your account. A lifetime is a very long time, Federico. Yeah, I guess. 10% off yeah. for, for most people. Off the lifetime of your account. 10% off. Thank you so much to Mailroute for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. So, we're going to talk about Alexa? Yeah, you made me talk about Max. Now let's talk about something fun that doesn't get people <laughs> angry. Let's wow. talk... Yeah, I mean, you know, just take a look on Twitter. It's a bunch of people yelling at each other about USB cables. You know, <laughs> not my definition of fun. Anyway, um, so, Alexa, I hope you listeners have put your Alexa devices on mute. Otherwise, please... Yes. Wait until I turn off your lights. Alexa, turn off my kitchen light. So if that went off, I'm sorry, but I really wanted to make that joke. Uh, now, now, Stephen. Mine is muted. I muted mine. Yeah, me too. Uh, before, before we were recording, you said the magic words mm-hmm. and yours went off. Which And I heard it in the background. I was like, you got to mute some. Mine is right here on my yeah. desk and I just muted it. So... Uh, you picked up an Echo Dot. Mm-hmm. So uh, um, I've been talking about my um, newfound affection for Alexa for the past few weeks. It feels like my usage has picked up a little, and it picked up a lot since Todoist rolled out their integration with the Amazon Echo, which is uh, you can now add tasks to your to-do list um, just by talking to Alexa, just by using your voice. You can uh, add new tasks to Todoist because there's a native integration between the two, which is basically works that Todoist plugs into the native uh, task manager built into the Alexa, and it imports those tasks into the Todoist service. It's very neat, very useful. I've been using it a lot. Um, At the same time, I I asked Mike if he was able to pick up an Echo Dot for me, the Amazon Echo or the Echo Dot, they're not available on the Italian Amazon at all. Mm-hmm. I bought my first Echo from some shady seller on eBay who <laughs> got the Echo from the United States. But I decided to buy the Echo Dot from the UK because I have an actual friend who's not shady at all, I think, for the most part, uh, in the UK. So Mike got me an Echo Dot. And on the very day that I got the Echo Dot, I started wondering, is it going to be a problem if I have a US Echo and a UK Echo Dot? So good news, it's not a problem. It totally works. The Echo Dot just picks up the existing language from your uh, Amazon Echo setup. Nice. So I totally love the fact that I have two Alexa um, entry points in my house. I have the the full Echo speaker in the the kitchen and the second one, the Echo Dot, in the bedroom. just because my bedroom is also in the tiny corner, there's a desk where I get work done, so it seemed more convenient to just talk to Alexa that way instead of yelling, you know. Yeah, I put I put my Echo Dot here in my office, and you know, the the full size Echo is in the kitchen, which I, I like. I said it before; I'll say it again. That's where the Echo wants to be. Like it is at home in the kitchen, uh, but having the dot out here in the office where I can just shout at it all day. Yeah. Is awesome. Like it's just, it's, it's almost like ha- I can walk in the house, yeah. and our kitchen is pretty central in the house. So if you're in that half of the house, it can hear you, and then out here I have it. So it's like it's kind of like Alexa's with me, you know, kind of wherever I go during my yeah. day. Yeah. So um, initially, I wanted to connect the Echo Dot to my uh, Sony 
uh, what's it called? The soundbar? You know, the thing sure, that yeah, you put in. Yeah, the soundbar. Uh, but there was some kind of problem with the soundbar and the activation of the, the speaker, which is when I activated the uh, Echo Dot by voice, it didn't play the activation sound. So because of that, and because I needed to always leave the soundbar switch to uh, analog input because of the Echo Dot, I thought I should just maybe buy a pair of cheap speakers on Amazon and use those Turn them on all the leave them turned on all the time just for the Echo Dot. So I bought a, mm-hmm. like two Logitech PC speakers for like fifteen euros from Amazon, yeah. and they were they're amazing because I don't li- I don't usually listen to music in the bedroom when I'm writing. I the listening to music usually happens in the kitchen, which is also a shared space. So it made more sense to have the better uh, Echo speaker there, and now it's fine. I have these speakers in in the next to my TV, and it's perfect uh so i love the fact that i can walk around the house talk to alexa and alexa activates on the on the new the speaker which is nearest to me this is a new feature called special recognition i think and it basically uses distance to measure which echo device should respond to you so if i'm in the bedroom it responds you know the echo dot next to my television uh if i'm nearest to the kitchen uh the full echo speaker replies which make makes a lot of sense it works really well in practice um i i read about this on six colors because of dan moran and it you know it was right it totally works as advertised um so besides using alexa for you know timers um Listening to Spotify, which I gotta come clean, I have two subscriptions to music services. I use both Apple Music and Spotify. I just gave up on the fact that I cannot choose uh, because each does a few things that I like. Uh, This is probably another topic for a future episode. Uh, so besides timers and music, now I'm using Todoist a lot. Like I'm saving tasks tasks with Alexa all the time. It's super convenient, especially because it picks up the natural language input that mm-hmm. you say to Alexa. But I've also bought, Stephen, and I realized that I'm late to this, uh, Logitech Harmony remote. I think this these remotes have been going around for like a decade and yeah uh, <laughs> they've been around a long time <laughs> like they're super popular but i i only recently realized they're they are in fact a thing that people enjoy because the logitech rolled out or should i say logi is the name of the company is just logi anyway logitech uh. or logi yeah i know uh they rolled out this alexa integration and it's awesome. So the I bought a Logitech Harmony Remote and the Harmony Hub. So the Hub is like a, like a glossy Apple TV. It's this little puck that you put next to your television, and it does a bunch of things. It can control Philips Hue lights and other home automation devices, but also it connects to a lot of home entertainment systems. It it supports televisions video game consoles, um, DVRs, uh, speakers. Like, if it's a home entertainment system made in the past 10 to 15 years, it probably works with the Harmony Hub. And now, what I can do is frankly amazing, and I can and I can confirm that even my girlfriend was impressed by this. She's usually not impressed by my geeking around, but this time she was. I can turn on my TV turn off my TV, switch channels, and switch inputs so I can say things like, Alexa, turn on Apple TV, and my 
TV turns on, switches to HDMI 1, the soundbar switches to HDMI 2, which is the input for the Apple TV. The Apple TV turns on, and in a second, I'm looking at the Apple TV home screen, which I don't use. It was just an experiment. I actually set up a Chromecast recipe, which I use all the time. I can say things like, Alexa, turn on the TV, and then Alexa switch to 5, and it switches to the channel 5, which I watch all the time. It's, it feels like the future, like I can talk to my television and turn it on. It's awesome. And I'm, I'm very excited by this. Also by the fact that I can control all of these, these different inputs from a single remote. Now, I'm going to sound like a person who just discovered a thing that ex- has been around for like 20 years. But this is totally <laughs> new to me. Like I can have a single remote yeah. and I can switch inputs without having to use all of these remotes, which I put in my drawer because I don't use them anymore. This is amazing. Like, Why didn't you guys tell me about this before? <laughs> the thing that really gets me about that is, so you have this working with Logitech and Amazon and the stuff in between. And the Google Home stuff works with Chromecast. So you can um, shout to your Google Home little friend and say, hey, turn on the TV, and it can do that sort of thing. And uh, I have a Google Home on the way. I ordered it on air a couple weeks ago. But this is another situation where Siri is not mm-hmm. competitive. Yeah. And like, I understand this is all new, Like, so I'm not, I'm not upset with Apple yet, but it's something they should <laughs> be looking into because <laughs> they, have, they have the Apple TV sitting there and they have the 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 watch on your wrist where Siri works pretty well most of the time actually for me. I have the most luck with the with watch OS Siri. And they have it on your phone in your pocket or your iPad on the on the kitchen table. And it's so isolated from each other where because the the Alexa platform is open, Logitech was able to hook into it and do all this stuff and if Apple's not going to do that or, or Siri Kit is going to still be really limited, then at least make your own devices smarter about each other. Where I could tell Siri on one device to do something on another device. Or I could ask Siri about something that is not, you know, happening on the Apple TV when I'm on my iPad. Like, just be aware of what's going on on these other devices. And right now, it just doesn't have that. And... I'm curious, you know, we kind of blew through it last week, this uh, TV app, and there's not much known about it. There's still some questions. It's coming to iOS. And I really hope that they're doing some stuff in there where I can pick up my iPad and I can just pick up the TV show that I was watching on the Apple TV that had turned off, you know, last night to go to bed. And I can pick my iPad up on my lunch break and hit play and be in the rights in the same place. Like, I would love for them to start applying this stuff cross plat or cross device, you know, cross platform. And this is another example of someone else beating them to it. But I think it's time that Apple tackles them, especially in the living room, right? It makes the most sense where you can walk in and say, Hey, you know, put on the Memphis football game and it knows what to do and it turns the TV on and it all just works. It'd be great. So hopefully Apple follows suit here because this stuff sounds really interesting. Google home stuff sounds uh, really nice, and I, I think that it's something that they need to to look at because they have a, all the components, right? It's just time to start putting them together. Yeah, I think I've been thinking about this, and 
all the interactions that I'm having with Alexa and with connected services and devices, those are interactions that are not going to Siri. And the more I buy into this ecosystem, the more I switch to services and apps and devices that don't plug into Siri, the more um, my iPhone, in a way, is becoming a dumb pipe, if you think about it. It just delivers access to an app that is connected to a service that works with another ecosystem. So I'm using Todoist on my iPhone, for example, but Todoist is based on a service that talks to Alexa, and none of that is part of Siri. None of that is part of my iPhone. And right. probably right now, that's not a problem. And I, you know, uh, we don't know how many units Amazon has sold of Echoes. I'm going to say a couple of millions, maybe, to be optimistic. But it's, I mean, once you try these things, and I mean, right now, it's totally convoluted. you got to buy a bunch of devices, a bunch of cables, the different logins. The Amazon Alexa app is a mess <laughs> if you want to configure a bunch of settings. It's all very early, but it works. And it's amazing when it works, which is most of the time. It's, it's very reliable, as, at least in my experience. And I have a bit of an accent. I talk to Alexa in English. I have an accent and she's learned to understand me. And mm-hmm. once you try this convenience, it makes sense. And I want to see Apple experimenting with this. Uh, but on the other hand, you look at Siri and you look at the, you know, the Siri kit on iOS 10 and it's limited to a bunch of you know, things that I don't use on a daily basis. And instead, I can connect anything I want to to my Amazon Echo. And so when I when I'm sometimes I look at I'm sitting in my kitchen or actually I'm washing dishes, and I turn around and I think about something that I want to ask, and I for a second I go like, should I invoke Siri or should I just invoke Alexa? And I've come to the point where it's sort of almost second nature, I just talk to Alexa because I mm-hmm. know it's going to work. And I feel like that's a problem. Maybe it's just me. Maybe it's a bunch of other people like me and you and Mike. But it, I do believe Apple should consider having a wider presence for Siri in the home. Because if they don't, maybe they're just kind of stuck in their ways. I don't know, man. I mean, Siri started life inside of one iPhone model. And while it has spread, it still feels very much like that's their approach. Like Siri is inside my iMac or inside my iPad, and it doesn't exist as a service bigger than the device that it's on. So like speaking to my Echo Dot or to my Echo in the kitchen feels like I'm speaking to the same like all-knowing service. Or if I, I would imagine if I got my Pixel and speak to the assistant there, and then when my Google Home comes in, and they will op- my, they will overlap, hopefully, so I can I can do this, that it will feel like I'm speaking to one all-knowing service, and it's not handcuffed to the device that it's housed on. And, I mean, I understand why Apple, like, how it's gotten this way, and for a long time there was no real competition in this, but the competition is here, and uh, I think that they need to think think bigger about what Siri can do and think, you know, begin to approach it as this is a service and the, like you said, the device is just a pipe to get there. And it's not about Siri on the phone versus Siri on the iPad. I mean, clearly there's always going to be platform specific stuff like the Apple TV Siri can always do things that are different. The Mac Siri can do stuff with files, but 
like the the base layer of what the service is needs to be needs to feel more encompassing. And I agree with you right now; it just doesn't. And I like you will reach for the Alexa, uh, you know, command first, and it does a good job of understanding me. It understands my my I got young kids. It understands the kids even. So I guess um, yeah. I mean. I, I don't feel bad. Like I don't feel bad about this. Right? Like there's, it's not that. It's this is the option that works best for me right now. Yeah. And uh, I mean, my, I mean, hats off to Amazon. Right? They had the Kindle and then they had like tablets, which are hilarious, and the phone that was a disaster. But like, but this thing, like, they have <laughs> tapped into something here yeah. Yeah. that is good, yeah. and I, I like that they're investing in it. I like that they are opening it up to developers, and I think there's a lot that that Apple could learn from Amazon in this category. A bigger point that. We don't usually mention, and I don't see a lot of people talk about, is that all of Apple's assistant efforts are based on when it comes to third-party integrations, are based on the are, are predicated even on the idea of having an app on your phone, downloading right. an app. So if the app is not installed, or if the app is crashing. I cannot do stuff with the assistant and the app. Whereas the trend we're seeing with the Alexa and in the future with the Google Home is web APIs, web services talking to each other without having to install the bits of an app locally on your device. And I think, it, I mean, of course, it plays to Apple's strengths to rely on the App Store, to rely on the secure framework and you know the sandbox of ios but i worry if the if having sort of taking that approach is going to limit apple going forward it's going to limit developers going forward because every time you want to you know roll out a new integration you gotta make sure that instead of having the freedom of the web and the you know the, the different apis that you can mix and match on the web you gotta talk to a different silo every time you gotta talk to a different app all the time I believe that's fine, you know, when it comes to extensions, that's fine when it comes to widgets, that's fine when it comes to custom keyboards. But for something such as an assistant, such as machine learning, such as using multiple services together, I wonder if the app is the correct approach. And I wonder if maybe relying on web services, which is what Amazon and Google do best, may be the preferable way going forward. It's definitely going to be an interesting scenario, I think, between such three different companies, you know, Amazon, Google, and Apple, sort of playing in the same field together. Because you got to believe that Apple is working on a Siri device. Uh, we saw, I, I, I hope so. You know, we, we saw the leaks a few months ago, and those things usually happen because Apple wants to send a message. So it, it is going to be diff, uh, interesting to see these three companies battling for the same space. But I also wanted to add, to sum up, when we talk in general on this show uh, about competitors to Apple, we we don't want to... Uh, we get this kind of feedback quite on a regular basis. We are not down on Apple. We're, we're just trying to be fair, you know, because I, I'm speaking for myself, but I think we're all on the same page. We like technology in general. We We like messing around with different devices different hardware we're we're lucky because we get to play with these things because it's our job um and we like to talk about it but it's not that we're 
it's not like the <laughs> it's a, <laughs> I actually got an email I think we got an email uh, saying that the competition is paying us <laughs> to talk about yeah. them in a, in a different light and I mean you can believe what you want but it's just a genuine uh you know, uh, interest in what is going on around Apple, especially because on the iPhone today, you can have so many different services. You can have Cortana from Microsoft on the iPhone. You can have the Google Assistant on, on your iPhone. It's kind of crazy. All of the different ecosystems you can have inside of another ecosystem. And that's the beautiful thing about the App Store. You can buy an iPhone because you like Apple, because you like the iPhone, and then you can try all these other different companies. You can try all these other different devices. And often, you know, Apple is kind of following in the in the footsteps of other companies, such as music streaming or photo storage. You know, I mean, it's always best, I think, to keep an open mind. And when it comes to assistant, when it, to assistants, when it comes to Alexa, I think we're gonna see Siri taking a a, a similar uh, approach in the future. So I feel like it's best to be prepared and best to know where we're what we're dealing with and the kind of uh, to prepare our expectations accordingly. Well said, my friend. Thank you. So I think that does it for this week. I think that's it. Yeah. If you want to find uh, the show notes to links we talked about, you can do so on the web at relay.fm slash connected slash one fifteen. Uh, you get in touch with uh, with us as well. There's an email link. Uh, you can email us conspiracy theories. You can find us on Twitter. Uh, Federico is at Vitici, V-I-T-I-C-C-I. You can find uh, his writing at the the glorious, the the website with the night mode, which you haven't used. Super awesome. Uh, MacStories.net. Uh, you can find Mike uh in the afterlife on Twitter at I M Y K E. And you can find me at five, 12 pixels.net or on Twitter at ISMH until next week, Federico say goodbye. Adios.